Jesse Hughes is an internationally recognised Australian artist, technologist and screenwriter. Her creative works have been exhibited at the Sundance Film Festival, South by Southwest, Cannes and the Tate Modern. Jessie Hughes has been named one of Australia's future changes for her commitment to using digital innovation for positive social impact. In 2020, she was awarded a General Sir John Monash Scholarship to support her postgraduate studies overseas. Hughes was admitted to both Harvard and MIT prior to the pandemic, however pivoted to a master's in screenwriting online. Jessie Hughes has designed and implemented solutions for tech giants such as Oculus, Facebook and Adobe and has been featured in hundreds of media articles around the world. She is an American-Australian Association art scholar, a Winston Churchill Fellow, Lord Mayor's Young and Emerging Artist Fellow, and a United Nations Sustainable Development Goals Ambassador. That is quite the mouthful. Jessie, Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much, Justin. <laughs> right. Thanks for the That's a lot. That's that is a that is a lot. Ten years, yeah. <laughs> you have been described as a new media artist, a design strategist, interaction designer, and creative technologist. How do you describe the work that you do? Yeah, though that was the hard thing, right? Coming up for a title. Um, I am very fortunate to work um, across multiple disciplines. And so trying to kind of find a title to fit them all um, was a bit tricky. But the term creative technologist kind of came about um, in, yeah, between like the 2010s, the 2020. And it's a bit more popular and well known now. Pretty much it's the bridge between, um, yeah, like like how technology speaks to the creative industries um, is what I'm really interested in. My design strategy background, so design was actually my undergrad. Where did you do that, Jesse? That was in um, QUT, so Queensland University of Technology back in, gosh, a long time, 20, I think I graduated 2014, and I did a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Interaction Design. Um, and yeah, I think I've, I've always just adored problem solving. Like problem solving is my, it's just what I love doing. And design strategy is a really fun way of, of doing that. So it's like trying to figure out how to solve problems, um, well. And I think my interest in tech just came about, um, through that process because of its ability to have such, um, just influence. And I suppose the, the scale, the ability to have, um, global impact with technologies. Uh, so that's the background. And then, yeah, obviously, the, I've, I've always called myself an artist. Um, I think, um, yeah, just having that perspective towards things about trying to find beauty and story and humanity and, um, yeah, more of the, the poetic kind of way of life um, <laughs> has always just kind of yeah, been prevalent. Do you ever have those discussions with your friends going, Jesse, what do you actually do? My roommate asked me that last week. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> I've lived in this for years. And You're like, I sort of get it, but I don't get it. What do you do? 100%. And I think like that is kind of the, like my my biggest strength strength and weakness. Like uh, when I was younger, it was really hard because people classify you as a generalist. And when you're mm. a generalist, um, they don't know what to do with you. No one knows what to do with you. Um, whereas being a specialist, um, 
my my specialization these days is actually being is it's an emerging technology is trying to figure out okay we've got this new thing what do we do with it um right now all anybody wants to talk about is ai and so um yeah so really diving into that this year like last year it was all about web3 the metaverse nfts i did a bunch of research for that before that it was virtual reality and ar and so i think being able to just um uh, when, when I, whenever something new is here, it's like, okay, well, let's figure out how does it work? What is it? What can we do with it? And, um, yeah, let's make, let's, let's make some cool, fun, creative stuff with it. So I've, I've got visions of Skynet. So if you look at your body of work over many years, you could say it intersects technology, art, design, and research. So do you have a process in your project strategy when you're looking at a particular problem? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and this has been learnt through mistakes. I think anyone who has been on the, I, like I've, I've founded three startups before, like I've been in the design world for so long that, um, especially when you work with tech, I think people get really, really excited about the technology first and they forget about the problem that they're trying to solve. And so when you see, um, yeah, like problem solving, that's good. A lot of the time it's it doesn't need to be this big, flashy, crazy, multi-million dollar thing. It's actually like, okay, well, how do we think about this from a clever standpoint? Like, how do we figure out what the real problem is? Um, and that comes down to like design thinking. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier, so I'm I'm very lucky to be Australia's ambassador for Unleash, which is the Sustainable Development Goals Innovation Lab. And what we do with Unleash, um, we bring together a thousand young people from around the world um, and give them a week to ideate solutions to the global goals. Um, but what's really great about this process is it's problem led. So it's like, so what is the issue that we're actually trying to solve? How do we interrogate human, like lived human experience um, and then come up with a solution from that? Um, whereas when I work in the tech space, a lot of the time, like especially when VR was around, I was like, oh, cool. Like what could we do with this tech rather than what is the problem and what's the right technology to fix that problem? You mentioned AI earlier. You recently held a talk in Brisbane on the impact of AI in entertainment. I'm keen to get into that a little bit more and how AI, this tech, affects the film industry, for example, not only in Australia, but but globally and what impacts you seeing AI on film. This year was a bit crazy for everyone um, with like the prominence of ChatGPT. I think when people started to see what was happening and all of a sudden they were trying to figure out, you know, what what is this and how does it work? So generative AI um, is yeah, it's kind of what's popped up this year. So the uh, the main kind of difference, and this is speaking very broadly, but the main difference between traditional AI or generative AI is that traditional AI machine learning, it's really good at pattern recognition. So it's like it can it can recognize patterns in the data, whereas with generative AI, it's really good at pattern creation. And so what that is, it's okay, well, looking at all of these patterns, I can now create something from that and similar. And like... um. ChatGPT, I think it broke the like broke the record as the most um subscribe like the, the fastest sign up. It was like two months. It broke the record of like a hundred million subscribers or something like that. So, um, it's it's clearly something that people are interested in. Um, speaking to the actual film industry, look, 
uh, where do we, where to begin? So I'm a screenwriter, and Hollywood went on strike earlier this year. They're still on strike, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they are. They definitely are. So just just for clarification, they are not on strike because of AI. They are on strike because of the way um, st- the streaming model has completely changed the the way that people are hired. And so now screenwriters uh. are hired kind of like within like the gig economy. They're hired for gigs. People who have been in the industry for 20 years are getting paid the same as someone like me, who's like green. Like I'm new to the industry, you get people, um, the episodes, like like usually back in the day, like people were brought on for seasons, whereas now with streaming, you might have six episodes in the season. So a screen is only getting paid for that. Yeah. So already you've got people who are quite disgruntled and, um, you know, mm. like barely being able to make a, a living wage. Um, and then, yeah, with AI on the scene, I think all, cre- all creatives justifiably were a bit like, what is happening here? Um, artists, I've spoken to many artists who are furious about it um, because obviously the training data has been trained on people's um, their, their works without any sort of consent involved at all. Um, I think the cat's out of the bag. There's no going back on that one, um, although there are many court cases <laughs> um, up in the States, so we'll see what happens with that in terms of copyright and everything. Um, but from a screenwriting standpoint, like I've played around with using AI to write um, as a, you know, give it to, to give it a try. You've got a few limitations with it though, in the sense that, well, firstly, start with the good stuff. It, it's very good at structure. It's very, very good at structure because it can go and read however thousands, millions of examples and get a really good idea of how something should be formatted. So I think it's really good in that regard. What it's really bad at is because it's doing it's doing pattern creation. It's, it's, ba- it's basing everything off patterns. And so you're not necessarily getting something that's um, brand new, I suppose. And um, I think in the last few years, we've really get fortunately been getting stories from diverse creators and these diverse untold stories, you know, finally coming to the forefront. Um, and an AI is not going to be able to write those stories because it simply mm. does not have that information. Um, I went to an amazing talk the other day at Screen Queensland um, and there was these four First Nations women writers and they were just kind of explaining that like to date the stories or films that have been made have been like for, like about First Nations stories for a white audience and she was like why are we why are we telling those like why are we not telling these stories for our for our own community and mm. They, she talked about the gaze and we talk about like in, in screenwriting terminology, we talk about like the male gaze or female gaze or in this case, you know, the First Nations gaze. And it's, it's talking about who are these stories written for and who are they written by, like who are they written by and who are they written for. So I'm getting a bit too deep into it, but this this idea that, um, yeah, AI can't create stuff that's never seen before. So um, that's a limitation. But in terms of structure, I think there's some really cool opportunities um, there. Um, in terms of deep fakes, whoa, cool stuff, <laughs> really cool, <laughs> petrifying, absolutely petrifying stuff, but really cool. Has anyone made a deep fake on you, Jesse? Oh, my God, I hope not. I, but, well, the thing is it, it could happen, and that's, I think, what people don't realise. Like speaking very broadly, but like the, the impacts to politics, I think, are petrifying, absolutely petrifying yeah. when you combine um, when you combine the state of uh, like virality and where a video is created and the entire world has seen it in under a day and nobody knows if it's real or not. Yeah. Um, I've seen some deep fakes of like, you know, you've got presidents saying things, but I think what's even, what's more scary is the subtle things you can get away with. So for example, uh, yeah. So if you take someone like, like Biden, right. And you wanted to 
do a, a, a misinformation campaign, what you could do is do a, like a deep fake of him falling down some stairs, yeah, right? That's, now that's something that it's believable, it's subtle, it it is something that will get shared instantly. And yeah. what it does, it affects his credibility instantly. Now that is petrifying to me because we are living in a time where you don't know what's real and what's not real. And the quality of these deep fakes is, you, 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 you can't tell the difference to be completely honest. So that's the dark, scary stuff. <laughs> the good stuff. <laughs> uh, I could talk about the dark stuff for a long time. Uh, but like the really cool stuff is, you know, like we've got, um, uh, I've seen amazing examples of uh, like actors giving a performance and, um, you know, say they say a swear word or something like that. The studio then has to put a higher rating on that film. Whereas if you just using deep fakes, you can make change their mouths to not say that. You yeah. can get a far broader audience. Um, I've seen examples for excellent for different, like, you know, you, you used to watch dub films and dub, dubs st- were bad. Whereas now- Terrible, terrible. Bad as yet. Whereas now, you know, you can get somebody's mouth- You can't tell. Yeah. You, you couldn't tell. And I've seen examples where it's like fluent. So there's some really cool stuff happening there. Um, the guys who made South Park, um, they've just opened their own deep fake studio. So there's some really- Really exciting stuff in um, that editing. Um, this the other thing is I don't think people like are maybe as aware. Like the, the 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 title of my talk was actually did we forget Netflix is big is big tech, right? And so Netflix is a fang. It is it is one of the big wow. tech empires in the world. Is anyone surprised that they're going into AI? Like it, it's just mind blowing to me because mach- their entire business model works on machine learning. The entire backman, the, the, they've got the personalization algorithms, they've got- Suggestions for you. Comp- the entire system is designed using machine learning based on what you like and how you watch it. Everything from the title card. The title cards that I see versus what you see, Justin, are completely different because it knows that I like, um, say, like the the YA, like young adult category, right? So the, the title card that I would see would have- big chunky bubbly text and probably pinks and yellows in the background whereas you i don't know i don't know what your viewing preferences are but say you really like horror films the same movie would have a different title card that's got a bit more of like a horror aesthetic to it because it, yeah you're going to press on that right yeah it's all based off machine learning so um yeah and I, I like when you look at the different streamers like so you've got, you know, say Netflix versus like, I don't know, Disney or these different these different companies. Like they all have very different dis- business models and I think we want to group them all together, but they are not grouped together because you take something like Amazon whose background has been in commerce and then you have, you have someone like Netflix, which again, they, they their entire model comes off personalization. So it's just that it's, it's a really interesting time for what's going to happen here. Um, I'm currently doing a lot of research into... Um, Yes, screenwriting with AI, like what we can do in terms of, no, I don't want my movie to be written by a, by an algorithm, but I could definitely have some really cool um, like layout happening. If you take yeah. like, like yeah. Books, when, when books get adapted into films, like that's a lot of work. And so what you could do theoretically is you could take, say, um, like the, I'm, I'm using it as an example because I know someone did it. Uh, so you take like the Lord of the Rings um, Empire, and that's a lot of stuff for a little brain, like a single brain to keep the hold of. Like it's a lot going on. And that's you, a big copy and paste. It's a really big, yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, 
And so you take something like that and, um, yeah, be able to get an AI to kind of read over that. All of a sudden, the system knows all the characters, all the connections, all of the languages involved, the different worlds, the different um, communities that they have intersect. They know that, like, you're, you're writing with just the best, most helpful tool a person could want. So I think there's some really great, great opportunities. I think it's understandably petrifying. Um, but, uh, yeah, my I, I've always been... I try, I try to see the opportunities. I'm a very um, opportunistic, strategic kind of person. So it's like, okay, well, this exists. How do we leverage it for a benefit? In 2020, Jesse, you were awarded a General Sir John Monash scholarship. You ended up studying at the London Film School. Tell us about that experience. So I was a I was a COVID scholar. I know we've uh, got us. There's a there's a few of you. It was gosh, that was a bizarre time, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So so 2020, I was actually I was enrolled at Harvard to do design engineering. So I was going to go over okay. and do um, design engineering's like um, kind of what I'm talking about. Anyway. Yes. It's yes. Um, and. Yeah, and then the and then the world ended. Um, <laughs> and I kind of like many people had a life crisis of what is what is happening, what am I doing? I had massive personal changes in um yeah in my own life, and I just had this moment of like what like life is short. Um, why don't you go do the thing you actually want to do? And this was to make this mermaid show. And so I remember vividly calling <laughs> calling up Henry and I went to like, oh, Rick, so you know we're doing engineering at Harvard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, could I <laughs> instead go and do screenwriting in London? Um, and she was just so amazing and everyone was just so supportive and was like, look, if that's what you think you need to do, go do it. Um, so I changed and this I yeah, this was when um the UK was still open at this point. There was it was just America that had shut down. So I was like, great, I'm gonna go to the UK, it's gonna be awesome. I had a leaving party, I sold my car, like I was so excited. And and I was at my leaving party and I opened up my phone and it said London is in a lockdown for foreseeable future. And I just sat there and I was like, oh my God, here we go again. Um, so anyway, I was like, fine, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this no matter what. And I ended up doing my master's degree online from I think my classes were from 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. for a year. So that was oh. a great time zone. And I had a job at the same time. I don't even know how that was possible, but I did it. Um and yeah, and it was just such an exciting process because I think like I'm, I've always loved like writing and story and everything, but understanding story structure, I think is a really exciting, it was, it was just beautiful to be able to take these, these stories and what I had and actually format them in a way that other people can understand. Um, screenwriting is very different to creative writing in the sense that when you write a script, it's considered um, like a blueprint. It's, it's, it, it needs to be straight to the point it's not there's you, you cut out all your adjectives like it really is just this is what we see on screen um and so writing that format was um just a new experience to me and i'm so excited that that happened um because it was a great choice um because the script that i wrote so the, the script that i initially wrote it was, it was this adult i love adult animation um so it's an adult animation about these like feminist punk mermaids it was very cool and they weren't called ariel were they no, 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 no. She was, uh, she was a cool girl. She was inspired. I grew up. I was a massive aerial fan. 
I actually, I grew up on the Sunshine Coast, so I spent my entire childhood um, swimming at the beach, which is why I think when COVID, I had to move back to the sunny coast um, when COVID hit and it was like I was swimming again and this mermaid show came to me. Anyway, and so the script that I wrote for this mermaid show, it um, ended up getting picked just towards the end of my master's. It ended up getting picked up for this, um, Ron Howard had this uh, Australian partnership with Screen Australia where they picked 10 scripts and I got to work with mentored by like the top writers in Australia. So I was mentored by Sean Grant, who's amazing. He wrote Nitram and a few other ones. I've seen Nitram. That's, well, what a movie. Yeah, it's hardcore. It's controversial. Um, yeah. 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 So, so working with Sean is just amazing. And I think like this, that period of so quickly coming out of that master's, so quickly being thrown into um, the real industry. And on the back of the initiative, I um, my, my show was pitched all across Hollywood. I think I had like, God, I had like over 20, 30 meetings with studios. And these are like studios that were my dream. Like the people that make Family Guy and American Dad and Broad City. And I was having meetings with them talking about my own show. And it was like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> it was, What planet am I on? Honestly, Justin, it was insane. Like I just couldn't believe what was happening. So that was amazing. And I ended up getting an offer. Like my, my show was optioned by a Brisbane show. I ended up I thought I always wanted America. I was always obsessed with America. But when I got the offer from the Brisbane studio, it just felt like, it just felt right. There's something beautiful about Aussies that just feel like they're just honest with you. I don't know. They're just frank. Like they just kind of speak, they speak freely, which I actually really appreciate. So um, yeah, so I've done that. And years later, we're yeah still working with them. And it's just, um, it was just the right thing to the right choice to make and that was a scary choice to make let me tell you my parents were like are you sure <laughs> <laughs> we're um, not sure about this yeah mm. like, oh. but um no it was, it was the best choice i ever made and i'm so so grateful that the foundation was so supportive during that period jesse your focus on using technology for social change is inspiring so can you tell us about a project that you have produced that you're particularly proud of in this regard? Uh, I, I do have a favorite project. You're not meant to, but I totally do. Um, so my favorite project I've ever done was it was 2016 and I had I, I, I got this thing for working for Facebook. So Facebook had just acquired Oculus, which is a virtual reality company. Um, I had previously been working in the social impact sector. I had done a little bit of looking into VR at this point, but nothing too big. Anyway, I got selected for this um it's called vr for good and it was an experiment really where oculus was like okay if we've got 10 filmmakers from around the world we've got 10 social initiatives what can they do with vr that's going to kind of uh, advance the mission of these not-for-profits and so i was paired with this amazing foundation called the global bright light foundation which distributes solar lights um to developing communities and there was this so, so I ended up going to Guatemala and, oh, my God, if you can go to Guatemala, go to Guatemala. It's absolutely stunning. <laughs> it's great. Um, and I, yeah, it worked. I worked with this not-for-profit for a few months and we created this virtual reality film about what life is like without electricity. So one in seven people in the world live without electricity, which is just such an astounding number when you think about it. And there's massive implications to that. Like the, the women that I was um, filming for the doc, like they – uh, the, the amount of health impacts from cooking with fire all the time, the smoke impacts, you've got the economic and ed educational impacts of, um, you know, when the sun sets, um, 
kids can't read or learn and that they've, you know, by the time they finish school, they have to go work out and work and help to bring some money in. And so they're not, so there was just so many layers to this situation. And, um, yeah, we made this virtual reality film and, um, I remember I was like, I was so little Justin. I was, I think I was 20, God, I think I was 22 or 23. And I remember being at Facebook headquarters and we're having like meetings with the guy who's like top of the UN, Zuckerberg's upstairs. I'm in this room with like grown adults, like real adults. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there just nodding my head being like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, yep, like no idea what's going on. Someone mentioned Sundance Film Festival. I didn't know what that was at the time. Obviously, I do. Yeah, know. of course. Yes. Yeah. Sundance. Love it. So the first round VR film ended up going to Sundance and like I... Because um, this is when I had I wasn't really working in film at this point, and the VR thing went to Sundance, and I was like meeting just these people that I'd idolized my entire life. I remember I was bumped into God, what's his name, Elijah Wood, Frodo from uh, Lord of the Rings. Mm. I was having a chat with him, having chat with Elijah, and I was just sitting. There, I was like, "This is a real industry. Like, I just get to play, or like, I get to pay to play. Like, this is astounding." So I was kind of from that moment where I was like, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. And I think like I, um, yeah, just just that experience in Guatemala, like I've, I've traveled a lot throughout my life, but the, um, yeah, it was just one of those experiences where it was just transformational. What about any projects that you've not yet started that you've got your eye on? Any passion pieces that you're hoping to explore, Jesse? Okay, well, as any creative, I have a notes app with like a hundred different projects. <laughs> yes, <laughs> within my life. Well, give us, give us some of them. What have you? What's what's on your what's on your app? Okay, well, the, the secret, the secret app. This is where we're getting into it now. Okay, I have I have this children's book uh, about I love apes. I worked with orangutans for a while, and it's called Apes Don't Have Tails, Monkeys Do, and it's a little children's book. That was a fun one. I've got a bunch of uh, film proposals and short films. Um, I'm sure in the next few years I'll find like found another little tech startup. They just pop up every now and then. So I think that's probably what's on the horizon right now. But it's um, really getting my my mermaid show across the line would just be what I'm most passionate about. So if anyone's listening and is interested in adult animation, <laughs> I have a mermaid show. Oh, we know where to know where to get in touch with. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Here at the Scholars Podcast, we talk a lot about the positive influences that a global perspective can have on your work. And you have lived, worked and studied in in many countries, including North America, Europe, Asia. So how has how has this global experience influenced your work? Yeah, this is, I think, something that's really, really important to me for sure. So um, as a bit of background, so I grew up in the Torres Strait Islands. My parents are both school teachers and I think I was 10 when we moved um, to the Straits. Um, and it was just this absolutely transformational period of just being like, uh, just seeing seeing Australia through a different lens. Um, my family also has a really, uh, we've always just been travelers, you know, I have hippie, crazy parents who, <laughs> who, you know, when I was a, when I was a toddler, you know, chucked me in a van and drove me across Europe. So, um, travel has always been essential kind of part of our life. It's always been about, we're not, we're not materialistic people. Everything comes to experiences. Um, and so when I kind of, yeah, finished uni, it was, how do I get overseas? And that was how I ended up on all of these amazing, bizarre projects. I did like an artist residency at this astronomical observatory over in Spain. Like I lived in Spain for six months. I, um, 
yeah, have like lived and studied across Europe. I, I moved to America when I was 20 um, to study over at San Diego. Um, yeah, I lived in San Diego for six months. It just across the world it's been amazing it's just been amazing I think when you start to meet other people you just understand that the world um the world the world is big and it is small (laughs) all in one and I the connections that I've made have just yeah really changed my life Jesse, you're known for sharing your experiences with students from various and diverse backgrounds so what's your advice for aspiring artists and designers and technologists who perhaps want to follow in your footsteps? Uh, I would say just to really seek out interesting opportunities. Um, We have so many astounding opportunities here in Australia, um, and I think all it takes is being alert and aware to that. Um, When you're beginning, I know it can seem a bit bit hard, but my – yeah, my life has been so rich and exciting because of – artist residencies, fellowships to travel the world, scholarships to study with brilliantly smart people. Um, I think I've always believed that thing of um, you're only as big as your fishbowl or whatever that is. And so it's like if you want to be, if you want to, you know, grow and be as big and as amazing as you can be, you know, you need to be around other people who are also um, have those really big aspirations. Um, in Australia, like we have some amazing communities, obviously the John Monash um, community. We've got the Foundation for Young Australians. We've got um, the Churchill Fellows. Like, there's so many communities um, of yeah, young Aussies who are trying to kind of change, change the change the world. And it's um, yeah, it's it's just about being alert and um, passionate, I suppose. I think when you show, I think when you show that you're passionate about something, people um, people light up. They listen, and I think that's part of just being magnetic like you start to attract opportunities when you are so so excited about it yourself and other people are like oh well she's quite excited about it maybe I should get excited about it um <laughs> uh, and so it does have that kind of like rub off effect Jesse Hughes wonderful to catch up with you today we're out of time but your insights have been spectacularly good so we wish you well in the future all the very best and Fly that flag for Australia wherever you may go. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a great one.